Welcome to Given Call Brigham. Jeff, why don't you tell everyone why we have to delay our recording for 45 minutes? Well, it started. Uh, there's a time zone between Garrett and I. You guys have known this by now. And I went for a family walk, and I texted Garrett, and I said, hey, I'm just leaving. We're going to go for a walk. Then I'm going to put my kids to bed. Uh, I should be like 30 minutes or so, maybe 40. And 40 minutes goes by, and I look at my phone. I'm getting ready to hop onto the podcast, and I get a text from Garrett that says, in a truly tragic turn of events, I'm at a taco stand 20 minutes away from my house. So we delayed the podcast a little bit, which is a little bit of a bummer. But also, the question that I have is, there is a time difference. Isn't it like 9.30? You're eating yes. tacos at the taco truck at 9.30? I didn't even know taco trucks were open at 9.30. They close at 10. So I just made it on, by the skin of my teeth. But they, um, yeah, I didn't eat dinner, really. It was a weird day today. Didn't really eat breakfast. I normally don't eat breakfast. And I didn't end up, work was busy. I didn't end up eating lunch till about 2.30. And so I wasn't hungry at dinner, you know. Bed, so my wife wasn't hungry either so we didn't eat and then we fed our daughter put her to bed and i was like i'm i don't want leftovers i'm kind of i want tacos and so ended up going and had to make a pit stop i guess it's not really a pit stop if you drive 10 miles out of your way but no i don't sometimes so. you gotta do what you gotta do right well I'm, were they good i mean you're in south carolina that's not really a taco haven yes it's they were not terrible, but they they were far from the worst I've ever had, but they were not the best. Um, it's hard. They, I mean, it's so my in-laws are from Yuma, Arizona. Your in-laws actually lived there for a while. I don't know. That's a random factor that my mother-in-law was your sister-in-law's seminary teacher last year. Uh, yeah, that's weird. Um, I talked to your wife about that once. The, uh, so they, there, there is a taco like in Yuma, there's like a taco truck roundup it's like not like a food truck roundup but there's a place and there's like eight or ten taco trucks and they're just there and so you can just go and like pick whatever one you want and it's there's lines like they're always super long and they're open to like two in the morning it's awesome so it's i'm awesome. excited you know i'm moving back to arizona that's i'm pretty most excited about having halfway decent mexican food it will being above halfway decent because it's only halfway decent here actually having good mexican food available my fingertips whenever I want to is something I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah, then and you should be. Uh, Arizona, especially down there in Yuma, I mean, you're practically Mexico. Like, good Mexican food is what Yuma is all about. Yes, and there are plenty of options. And it's really funny when my in-laws, they get in debates about which place is better. And I remember one time we're sitting. So my father-in-law was born in Mexico. And his sister once, I was like, I'm more Mexican than you because I didn't marry a white woman or something to that effect. And it, was, it gets pretty heated when they start arguing about which place is best and whose opinion matters more. Um, but it is, there's, yes, there's no shortage of good Mexican food anywhere in Southern Arizona. Um, so getting off of that and into, we have two Hellions of the Week. Um, and our first one is we want to give our condolences to um, Kelly Woodall, her mother, Pam, passed away and Kelly is a great friend of the show and I've known Kelly for a long time. She, she's up in your neck of the woods in Davis County. Uh, she might, I don't know if she's in Davis County or up in Weber County. Um, but she's the, a, she was a Weber County girl. I, I put this together on Facebook. Apparently Kelly went to high school, well, maybe not high school, grew up with, I don't know, something. She's close friends with one of my cousins. So kind of a small world thing, but anyway, continue. So, yes, so Kelly, um, Kelly herself is a cancer survivor, and then her mom passed away um, from cancer this morning, and she posted uh, a couple weeks ago, um, she posted a picture of her entire family, and they were in the student-athlete building um, with, and they had met with uh, Coach Satake, and they're with Kalani, and she posted the picture with their whole family together and said, faith, family, and BYU football, my mom's life motto, and uh then this morning she posted, my mom upgraded her seats for every BYU sporting event early this morning to ensure that she has the best seats in the house. And then she quoted Stuart Scott by saying, you beat cancer by how you live, why you live, and in the manner in which you live. So our heartfelt condolences go out to the Woodall family. Um, she, they are probably some of the biggest BYU fans that I've ever met in my life. And, you know, it's her mom, obviously she was, 
she had a, lived a great life. Um, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't young by any means. So it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's always for me, at least it's always a lot harder when you see like a five-year-old with leukemia or something like that then. Um, but it's, it's never fun when someone passes away. And so it's, um, our thoughts go out to them. And then you had another submission that you, someone emailed you this week. Yeah, we did. It was, it was really hard. Typically we only do one hellion of the week, but we just couldn't say no to, to anybody this week. Um, I'm going to read verbatim the email that I got from Taylor Heron. He is a friend of the program, a subscriber on Cougar Sports Insider, a really good friend of the show. Uh, and, and anyway, in this email, it says, I just wanted to nominate my nephew as hellion of the week. He turned 10 yesterday, and this was sent to me earlier this week. He turned 10 yesterday. His name is Zane Crockett, and he is a big BYU fan. Zane has Down syndrome. He loves Cosmo, and yesterday at his birthday party, Cosmo showed up in the Cosmo Bill to help celebrate. It was such an amazing experience. Cosmo danced with him. They swung on the playground together, took pictures, hugged, dished out high fives, etc., Cosmo had backflip contests with some of the kids there. Cosmo even brought Zane a stuffed Cosmo. It was awesome. Right before Cosmo had to leave, after staying for about 40 minutes, Zane told Cosmo that they needed to say a prayer. In the prayer, Zane asked that we would be able to have BYU sports. We all want that prayer to come true. Because of that, I want to nominate Zane Crockett. He and Cosmo prayed together for what we all want. Hopefully, Zane's prayer will be answered. Zane should be Hellion of the Week. And I couldn't agree more. Zane should be Hellion of the Week. So should the entire Woodall family. We're handing out Hellion of the Week like uh, like Oprah hands out whatever it is that Oprah hands out. These are two incredibly worthy uh, uh, recipients. Really excited for Zane. Taylor sent us some pictures. But hopefully we're, we're going to talk to the to the parents, make sure we have permission. But some really cool pictures of Cosmo and Zane, uh, you know, hanging out at his birthday party. Really two awesome, awesome submissions this week. And, and Zane's right, man. We're all just praying the football and BYU sports come back soon. And the thing I love the most about both of these is that it revolved all around is like for them, BYU sports, like it really is like it's their whole family. And it's, you know, it's, that's why I think the thing I love most about sports is how it brings people together and it kind of breaks down like a lot of walls that people have, like, I don't know how many people I know that are like, you know, my dad and I didn't always get along growing up, but we always had insert team name here. And it was, we could put aside our differences, watch the game. And that's like what got, you know, through. So between things like that, or just, you know, that's always the thing that you did is your whole family sitting down and watching the game together or going to the game, whatever it really, you know, I think both of these really kind of highlight everything that we love about being BYU fans and, what the university means to so many people, um, especially the athletics department. So Hellion of the Week, two great things. Please continue to send us more um, options. You know, we want to have plenty to choose from. We had two really good ones. We couldn't, we couldn't set them aside this week. And so happy birthday, Zane. Again, condolences to uh, the Woodall family. And now let's get into some of the more happy side of things with our show. Um, what are you cooking this week? I honestly didn't cook much. Work got crazy. It's been a pretty busy week. Tonight, I was throwing together a quick dinner, and I, I think this is probably common knowledge, but I never did it growing up. My mom never did it. And even when I got married, my, I guess my wife didn't really do it either. It just We sort of stumbled upon it. So I was just throwing together some quick spaghetti. My, my daughter, she's sick. She loves spaghetti. And I realized a couple of years ago you don't just put pasta noodles, you know, you don't just boil your noodles or whatever, and then make your sauce in a separate pan and then put the noodles on a plate and then pour the sauce on top. That's not how it works. You combine the sauce and the noodles in one pot, stir that together, and then out of that pot, you plate your pasta, whether it's Alfredo, whether it's spaghetti or whatever. And it evenly distributes your sauce. So you get sauce in every bite. You don't get that weird you know, the end of the plate where you have like a bowl full of sauce, you avoid that entirely. It changes the way that even that quick 20-minute throw-it-together spaghetti out of a can, it just changes the way it tastes. It makes it feel a little bit more authentic, a little bit more high-end. So that's really all that I have this week. I, I, it was a crazy busy week, but combining your pasta sauce with your pasta before you put it on a plate 
everybody should do it. You go to any fancy restaurant, that is what they do. It's important. I think it's an important step that doesn't get talked about. You know, I actually have had a similar week and I was also going to talk about spaghetti as well. So I'm glad we're on the same wavelength here. Um, that's, you know, the, it's a, that's the sign of a, a really in tune show. We're getting yes, better at this. Yes, you might uh, call it the McClintock effect. You can Google that after the show and see what that is. Um, the so the uh, adding on to that, and I was like, I was going to mention of just, and I think I've talked about this on the show before, is just using <laughs> Italian sausage. I just googled <laughs> the McClintock effect. I I should have waited for the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> McClintock effect is a menstrual synchrony. Also called the McClintock effect is an alleged process whereby women who begin living together in close proximity experience their menstrual cycle onsets, becoming more synchronized together in time than they were than when previously living apart. Why is that called the McClintock effect? Because the psychologist or whoever psychiatrist, whoever that did like the research around this, her last name was McClintock. So you might say that our food <laughs> thoughts are in sync at roughly 9 Eastern every Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that just threw off Quarantine Kitchen, but uh, that's hilarious, folks. Like, we all learned something new, and I guarantee you nobody but Garrett knew that. I, there's no reason for anybody. And that's one of those <laughs> things, I don't know if you ever just, like, typed it, Googled your name, or, like, search. I mean, Hanson's a lot more common last name than mine is but it's just i've discovered that by searching when talk on wikipedia and seeing who came up that has my last name and there you go um anyway back to spaghetti using italian sausage don't use ground beef use italian sausage it has more fat fat is flavor and it's pre-seasoned it will just it will also elevate the dish and it's like you know you think of like you were saying kind of like mess spaghetti on a quick night if you use italian sausage you can use any jarred pasta sauce and it's going to taste okay but then going, what you were saying about mixing it together, I don't know if you did this as well. It's important to take about a cup uh, or a quarter cup, sorry, not a full cup. That's way too much. About a quarter cup of the pasta sauce or the pasta water after it's done cooking, the starchy water. And then when you mix your sauce in, you want to put in that quarter cup of the starchy water and then either put in like some butter or olive oil, some type of fat. And the starch and the fat will thicken the sauce a little bit and help the sauce kind of cling to the noodles better. So you get a better distribution and better texture. So we're just, you know, we've gone from some of the barbecue things in Quarantine Kitchen to now we're helping you turn your, you know, turn your home kitchen with your great value Walmart brand pasta sauce into Buca di Peppo and, you know, a true Italian experience wherever you may be. We had a, a subscriber on our, our message board over at Cougar Sports Insider this week that we, we released the podcast and one of our threads, we were actually talking about sports, but one of the threads kind of evolved or maybe devolved into barbecue questions. And this subscriber, Bugs, I love you, Bugs. You're one of my favorite subscribers on the board. Bugs said, hey, guys, I like sports talk, not Food Network talk. And I feel like we have really reached food network level. Like before we were just talking about tailgating type food, but now that we're talking about add a quarter cup of pasta water to olive oil, it really feels like we are that, uh, you know, it seems like every food network star wants to have that quick mom meal. And that feels like that's where we are. We're, we're talking now about quick mom meals. So we really have the quarantine has gotten us to a point that we've even ran out of barbecue things to talk about. So we're talking about 20-minute spaghetti on a weeknight. It's crazy. If meat, if meat wasn't so expensive, we could talk about barbecue more, but we got bills to pay. Um, <laughs> we got bills to pay, and Teespring isn't going to help us do it anymore. No. I got so, a rant okay. about Teespring. Okay. okay. Teespring, as you guys know, we try to make this show ad-free, and Teespring has been how we have supplemented those ads uh, by selling – you know, T-shirts, we were selling masks for a minute, and it was fine. Everything was working well. How long have we been doing it, Garrett? A couple of months now, it's been up. And we sold some shirts at the very beginning that said, Taysom Hill is a quarterback, and Jim McMahon did not like the honor code. Well, last week after the show, uh, I think it was Thursday morning, I went in to go and put another shirt design up on Teespring, and I couldn't get in. My account was disabled. 
they don't have a phone number. I don't know if they never have a customer service phone number or if it was just because of COVID. I don't know. Uh, so they had a live chat. So I start live, uh, a live chat and I start chatting with this customer service rep and they go through the, you know, the regular stuff, like clear your cache, try a different browser, whatever. None of that works. And I'm like, hey guys, I'm just trying to get in. I don't understand. And then the chat goes dark. Like I never hear back for hours. Okay, that's weird. So then I send an email, nothing for like a day, nothing. And then I log in. This was, I think, on a Thursday. So I log in on a Friday afternoon now, and our store is gone entirely. I check all my emails. There's nothing there. I don't get a notification. I can't figure out what the heck is going on, but I can't log in, and our store is gone. And I'm sitting here in my head thinking, we must have done something wrong. Did I say something to this in this chat that I didn't mean to say? Or did, I can't figure out why they shut me down. And so after several different requests, because again, they don't have a customer service phone number, after several requests that had been ignored, I finally got a response back today. And they told us that our store had been shut down because of intellectual property infringement. <laughs> intellectual property infringement, what the heck is that? Lo and behold, we were not allowed to say Jim McMahon on a t-shirt. That's why they shut us down, because we said Jim McMahon on a T-shirt or Taysom Hill on a T-shirt. I don't, I don't get that. And what really is maybe the most vexing about this entire thing is they printed the shirt that said Jim McMahon. They shipped it out. Uh, we got a picture of one of our, our listeners who bought that shirt and is now proudly wearing a shirt that says Jim McMahon. They didn't they shut it down then. Very limited edition shirt, I might add. That might be worth something someday. One of one. So it's just mind-boggling that we were shut down. So we're working on figuring this out. Uh, we're going to find a new way to get a storefront up. Uh, Garrett is going through all of the web design that he knows, which is really just scouring the, the depths of Reddit to figure it out. But we're going to have a storefront up soon. But I just want to, you know, Teespring can't handle us. That's really what it is. Teespring, I think that our merchandise was so good looking and we were starting to really create some traction that they were just like, you know what? We better, we better hide behind this Jim McMahon BS and, and, and we're going to shut them down. So they shut us down. So Teespring is done. And I mean, I don't know. We don't have a huge platform, but on this platform, I would say avoid Teespring at all costs. What really was so, what was so astounding to me was to shut it down and not say anything and then ignore me for a week. Like it was just shocking. So Teespring. Weird, it really brings into question to me the entirety of the platform because if that's why they brought it down, when it got pulled down, it shouldn't be that hard. So say they're saying, oh, someone reported this, which if you reported this, what's your deal? Like get a life, one. Too, if it just maybe they have a random review thing that they just kind of like go through stuff for new stores that pop up, whatever. And they said, Oh, this is someone's name, whatever. We broke the terms of service. Sorry, I didn't realize that'd be a problem. But instead of saying, sending an email and saying, Hey, we pulled down this listing, you can't do this, you can't use specific names like that, you know, here's your warning. Okay, that would have been fine, understandable. But even if you're going to close it, why does they, when they close the store, why doesn't it not send an automated email that's like, hey, your store has been taken offline because of this reason. Like, I, I don't get it. Look, I, I recognize, you know, if we broke rules, we broke rules. But I, I, don't, I didn't know that was a rule. And frankly, I don't feel like it should have been a rule. You know, like we follow copyright things. We weren't out publishing logos. I didn't know that Jim McMahon had his name trademarked. I don't think that he does. I can tweet Jim McMahon without paying him a royalty. So I, I don't know. Frustrating. Maybe we're wrong. Let us know if we're wrong. If we're wrong, then I'll, I'll happily refer everybody to Teespring. Because up until they shut us down, it was fine. It wasn't the best, but it was fine. But you know, man, I'm so Jim, sour. Taysom, if you hear this, let us know. We'll Venmo you five bucks to make things whole. Yeah. We and believe in repentance Taysom, on the show. If Taysom, if somehow you're actually a listener to the show and you reported your own shirt, be, like you were upset with us somehow, well, how dare you? How dare you? I am now moving that leap over a Texas defender 
to waltz into the end zone to like my third favorite BYU play, if it was you. So out yourself, identify yourself, Taysom, so that I can rightfully move that play down to where it belongs as number three of all-time favorite BYU plays. You know, I really hope this does end up back to him and we get an answer on that. I do too. God, I do too. So we will have something new. I'm working on a few things, um, you know, trying to find another platform that will allow us. The reason we went with Teespring is because they handled all the fulfillment and it was easy for us to throw up designs. And then it just showed up nice at your doorstep. None of us had to do anything other than us come up with witty designs that made everyone happy. So we're going to, we're trying to find something similar. There's a few other print on demand type things. Um, so hopefully ne- by next week we will have something. Um, next thing that we have. Hold on. I don't on think I showed these, Garrett, real quick. Oh, I gotta, did the mask gotta come? On. Hold on. Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad you got your mask sample before they canceled our account. Oh, it's good. It's great. It's like you're speaking into the microphone. Oh, they look good. And uh, they weren't screen printed. I mean, I'm not going to make it a big, like, uh, to-do and try to get people to buy these because you can't. But they look good. Yeah. I thought it was great. Pleasant. Yeah, so Teespring, you make good masks, but you shut down even better stores. Yeah, yep. So Teespring, uh, I would have to put the explicit label if I said what I wanted to say about you today. Yes, it is unfortunate. So last week we talked about cases are going way up. Hospitalizations have, you know, stayed flat, right? Like it's, you know, hospitalizations have gone up in places, especially we keep, you know, hearing the big states of California, New York, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, those are going up. But, you know, we, at the beginning of all this, we talked about, you know, keeping the curve flat is their hospital capacity to, you know, treat those cases that need to go to the hospital and pretty much everywhere it is like they haven't, you know, they haven't had to use extensively use big overflow hospitals or, you know, field hospitals or any of that. So things are looking fine that way. Do we think games are going to happen? in the fall or is everything going to the spring we've seen a couple scs conferences say nope we're going to the spring they're cutting it completely there's talk now of maybe does fcs go spring entirely and they just try to shift into the spring in order to capitalize in a season where there is not football and maybe they can get some you know go from getting nothing for their media rights to some you know g5 type money by slotting in the spring you know what are we going to are games going to happen this fall i mean nobody really knows right we let's let's make that clear i feel like we have to have that little disclaimer every time we talk about this but i still think so and i still think i'm in the minority but last week i changed my mind Uh, i was on you know fully on board that football games were not going to happen because of the virus but this week the numbers in the big states they didn't go up I don't know that they particularly went down either, but they stayed the same. There is still access to healthcare. And I think that there is, especially in the South, especially, you know, you look at states like Georgia that are still wide open, right? Even as the cases have started to climb, they haven't showed any signs of slowing down their reopening or their economy or anything like that. And I think a lot of these states have this notion that, look, the virus, we can't just sit around and wait for a vaccine. Uh, we don't know if a vaccine is guaranteed. Like there's some promising um, companies right now that are close, they say, to a vaccine. So maybe it's closer than we, you know, than we think. But I think a lot of these states are kind of saying to themselves, we have to learn how to live with this virus. We can't just put all of our lives on hold. And we could argue whether that's the right call or the wrong call. I'm not going to argue. I don't know. Um, but I think that's kind of what it feels like to me that some of these states are, are kind of taking that approach. And because of that, I think that football presses on. Now, I do think that uh, there's going to be some rigorous testing requirements. We heard the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 have been meeting together to kind of have a, a standardized testing requirement between those three conferences, which I think is genius. And I think that's exactly what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 should have done. They should have, as those Power Five conference commissioners, should have all got together. But what do you know? Larry Scott gets it wrong again. Um, but those other three conferences are doing that. And I think as long as they can agree on some standardized protocols and they can figure out a way to you know, audit or, or test the validity that everybody is following those protocols, 
I think football's going to happen. There's going to be some games that get canceled. It may not be a full 12 game se- uh, uh, season schedule. Even though Texas, Texas today came out and said, hey, they're anticipating playing 12 games. So maybe it is. But I, I think the football happens. I just don't see it not happening at this point unless the cases go up and we run out of healthcare resources. But I think as long as somebody can walk in and say, I'm sick and be admitted to the hospital and get whatever treatment they can, I think football happens. You know, and I think I'm coming around to that. I think we saw a lot of rash, very quick decisions. Um, on these things of, you know, and I understand like with school and it's, you know, people have always talked about, well, if it's not okay to have students online or on campus, then it's not okay to play. And I guess I understand the logic of that, but also, you know, there's a difference of we need to deal with one team of 120 some odd kids versus we have to work and plan around you know, 15,000 students at this university. There's, those are different levels of what you have to deal with. And if you're going to tell teachers, you know, hey, you need to prepare online, they need to know that in advance. So there is, it's not exactly just so cut and dry. And I used to think like, you know, that makes total sense with everybody. I don't think it is so cut and dry of what is needed out of each situation and what you can provide to different groups of students on campus. And like you said, there is money going behind it. And it's, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were so quick to jump to, you know, we're doing conference only. But, you know, I think the other conferences, your conference isn't going anywhere. You don't need to make that decision right now because if you're going to pull the plug, it's going to go, you're going to litigate all your, you're going to end up having to litigate all of your deals and everything. Like, I'm sure we're well within the window of like, oh, you can cancel with this or whatever. And it's going to get argued, you know, well, is this an act of God that caused this, whatever. And, you know, if you, so pulling the plug, whether you do that now or whether you do that in the middle of August, like two weeks before your first game is supposed to start, I don't think it really makes a difference in terms of when we're going to go to like the Pac-12 could have said a week before the whole, or you know, before the first week of the season, no, we're going conference only. And it would have left BYU hung out to dry and that would have sucked, right? Like it's, you know, so in that case, sense, I'm very happy that, you know, we're potentially playing Bama. We've had talks with Texas A&M and San Jose State and Oklahoma State and some few, you know, other games that would be very good on our schedule. So in that sense, it's good that we have this runway of sorts, but they didn't need to make that decision then, right? Like it's, and so I think part of it too I don't know like how much money is, you know, if we play Bama, so obviously USC is pulled out of that game. It's really hard for USC to say, Oh, this was like, you know, this was an act of God that we had no choice. We could not play this contract, but then three out of the five power five conferences and four out of the five or five. Well, right now five out of five G five are still planning on playing. If two of the 10 conferences say we're going conference only, but the other eight still do it. You have a hard time in court saying we could not, play this game because of the COVID situation because everyone else played, you know, they may have cut it short. And I think, I think we'll get a 10 game season. Normally you have about four weeks, you know, between the end of the season, you have the end of, you know, week 12, or well, I guess game 12, Thanksgiving weekend, first week in December, you have your conference championship games. And then you have a two week break until the bulls start. And then those bulls go on over the course of three weeks. So really to play tw- 10 games, you normally have, or, we normally have a 13 week season and then you have to play 12 games and then you add in another five weeks. So now you're looking at like 18 weeks total by the time you get from week one to the national championship game, you could fit 10 games in 18 weeks and it's the same amount of time for the students. Like, so I think we're going to get somewhere between 10 games. I don't think we'll get bowls or maybe we do something weird like that. I don't know the national championship, if teams going conference only and you know, you cut down on things, how they'll, do if they'll do the playoff the same maybe they resurrect i would i would prefer the bcs i wish they would have just expanded the bcs from two to four instead of doing the committee but you know maybe they'll just do that or something of that sort um but i think agree with you now we're going to get football in some shape way shape or form this season and we said last week we don't want you know we don't want bama right now but i say screw it give us bama i like it would be you know, Jeff shaking his head. He doesn't want it. You know, maybe oh. we'll just show up and surprise people. I don't know. It wouldn't be the craziest thing that's ever happened. Every uh, time it would be. It would be the craziest thing that's happened in a long time. Mm. We're talking about Alabama. 
right? Like Nick Saban, his last name is only one letter away from Satan. Like we are, no, that would be, that would be shocking. Look, I feel like that was maybe, I do a lot of weird analogies, but the analogy of the cat getting run over, that is exactly what I feel like that game will be. And, and, and okay, it's fine. You know, we can talk about it on Twitter that, hey, we replaced Utah with Bama. It makes for some good smack talk to get us through until we play Utah again on the football field. But I don't want to play Alabama. Oh, man, I just, those games are brutal. Here's my counter argument to this. Every time we think that BYU has a fighting chance to pull off a big upset, it ends badly. I remember in our group text, before the LSU game, you know, they had a couple suspensions. The You're whole right. week was kind of weird because of things. We're like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we could pull it out. It won't be pretty. It won't be a huge win. Maybe similar to like that 2009 Oklahoma game where you win by one score, you know, at a neutral stadium. It, you know, we, we might have a chance. But those other games, like say Wisconsin in 2018, where we think, we're absolutely going to get our butts handed to us. Why am I even going to bother turning on this game? Because I know what the score is going to be. Those are the games that somehow, some way, BYU always manages to pull out. So I just can't. The most, B, the most BYU thing ever would be to the season all get shuffled. We end would be to beat Bama on week one and then like, Week 10, our last game of the season, somehow God has forsaken us and we are playing UMass again <laughs> and we lose at home to UMass for a second time. That uh, would be the most BYU thing ever and you cannot, that is unde- That's undeniable. No, you're right. Man, I just, I get nervous. Alabama, it's, it's just a different animal down there, you know? Uh, uh, it, it's insane. And, and I just, yeah, I don't know. But I would love the game. I mean, from a pure fan perspective, it would be fun to see BYU on the field against a team like Alabama, Clemson, you know, the big dogs of college football. And it's a great measuring stick. You want to play the best, see where you are. Uh, I'm just afraid of where BYU's at. But that's just me. I think a lot of people generally are excited about this matchup. So I, I think it would be a great game. You mentioned some of the other names that we've heard already. I, you know, we've heard Texas A&M. We've heard Oklahoma State. We've heard San Jose State. Everybody wants to hear Notre Dame. And I can promise you Tom Homo's had those conversations. I have yet to hear anything tangible that makes me think that game will be on the schedule. It makes sense. You know, that last game of the year, there's only two teams that don't have a game in week 13, right? Everybody else is playing conference football, and there are two teams – that lost their out-of-conference games when the Pac-12 pulled the plug. And that's Notre Dame and BYU. So it makes all the sense in the world, but I haven't heard anything. Uh, I've reached out to some people who I know at Notre Dame, and I have not heard anything from them that makes me think that game is you know, close to being penciled in. That doesn't mean that it's not. I promise you that Tom Holmos had the conversation. But I just haven't heard that that game is close. But these other ones, I've heard Texas A&M, I've heard Oklahoma State, I've heard Alabama. I've heard San Jose State, and then I've heard, you know, that regional FCS game. The two teams that I have heard are Idaho State and Portland State. I could be way off, right? I could end up going 0 for 5. But those are the games that I've heard. And if I was forced to say this is the schedule today, I think that those are the five teams you'd see on the schedule. I also do not think you would see North Alabama on the schedule. And my gut says that Northern Illinois game gets canceled too. Uh, the Northern Illinois AD said last week that he thinks football season should be canceled. They've already taken the game out of the neutral site venue in, in Chicago and moved it back onto Northern Illinois' campus. Uh, I just I don't, I don't think that game ends up happening. Uh, one school buys out or cancels or something. I think I feel like if there was a conference that was going to pull the plug on the season of the G5 level, it would be the MAC. Um, just because they they have the worst attendance by far of any. I mean, it's really – I feel bad sometimes when it's kind of a slow Saturday afternoon, I will get on ESPN3 and turn on the MAC game just because I legitimately feel bad for the players that they played in front of more fans at their two-way high school than they are in college. And it's – so I think they – they're getting to the point where shutting down and saving on operating costs is going to 
be more beneficial to them because they have the smallest TV deal. They're not going to get all of their pay money. Their paycheck games come from the Big Ten. Those all got canceled. So they, half of them have already cut multiple sports um, going, you know, throughout this. Permanently. Real, so real I think, quick, Garrett, I don't mean to cut you off, but you just, oh, you mentioned the paycheck game. Um, I'm just now, just as you're talking about this, seeing on Twitter a clip from Oregon Live, and it's uh, Portland State. It's their AD talking, and he says, "I think a lot of I think a lot has been made for the different testing procedures for the virus and how teams are going to prepare for that." He said, "I think it was disappointing that we weren't even given the opportunity to meet the standards they." He's talking about the Pac-12. They set for testing. Set the money aside. Those games are good for everybody. Whiskerl said he's done a lot of thinking about the safety of games. I can make the case that it's safer for Portland State to play Oregon State than it is for Oregon State to play UCLA. Safer for Idaho to play Washington State than it is for Washington State to play Arizona State. It wasn't surprising that it happened with the Pac-12 after the Big Ten made the decision. They do lots of things together, he said but I was disappointed that our schools didn't even get a chance to try and meet the standards. That doesn't sound like an AD who's going to say, okay, Pac-12, you made your choice. That sounds like that is the beginning of a really ugly battle to try and figure out what schools in the big sky and how they're impacted by this cancellation by the Big 12. It's exactly what you're talking about, that they just lost their buy games. They just lost a huge chunk of their annual revenue into their program and they're going to want to find some compensation for that. Otherwise, their programs may not survive. Especially at the FCS level because it's, you know, if you look at the revenue numbers for like a P5 school, the average P5 school is bringing in like around like 100 to 110 million a year. G5, it's around 45. FCS, it's like 20. And then the HBC, the two HBCU conferences, it's like $10 million a year is their operating budget. So it's, I'm looking at the NIU schedule right now. There are other, there are three other non-conference games besides BYU, which we mentioned is probably going to get canceled were Iowa and Maryland. Those already both got canceled on them. And they were probably, they were going to get over a million dollars for both of those games and Rhode Island. So then they have their F, their own FCS by game. And so it's, it really is a tough situation and it's it really is unfortunate that the schools, you know, cause kind of the whole logic or what was paraded as the logic for a conference only season was, well, we can maintain the testing standards. So when we talked about this last week, so do like a consortium, I think the ACC and the SEC and some of the other P5 conferences were saying, okay, we're going to get together and say, these are like, this is our testing bubble, whatever. Like if a school will not meet these, they can't be on anyone's schedule. Cause that's like, you know, what we're sticking to. And that makes sense. So I don't, you know, it's really unfortunate for these smaller schools. And hopefully, you know, I think the biggest thing that way that this could help BYU long-term is if say, you know, BYU needs a game. Say we go play in Tuscaloosa this year. If we get a return game and Bama comes to Provo, even if it's, you know, or even if we roll that into a two for one where, okay, we're going to go to Tuscaloosa again in 2025. And then you're going to come to Provo in 2028, something like that. You know, if we can roll something like that with, you know, I'd love to see A&M or Oklahoma State in Provo and get a couple more games with those schools. And so our schedule is done this year, obviously. Well, not done this year. It's getting reworked this year. 2021 is done. 2022, there's one game left to schedule. And then 2023 and four, there's like two or three games left. And then once you get to 2025 on, that's when we see like, it's like five, 25 and 26 have like five and seven games. And then after that, it's like, we got 10 games left to schedule. Part of that is waiting to see what happens with alignment. Part of it is we're just not quite close enough to that yet. So if Tom can work some magic out of all of this to be like, hey, we'll play you this year. We can come in and fill a gap in your schedule, but you need to scratch our back five years from now, you know, at least. And if Bama cancels on us, I'm honestly okay with that too, because it's going to come with a fat paycheck to do that. And, you know, I can be bought. So those are the games that we're hearing about. Um, we did have some unfortunate basketball news today. And Jeff, tell us all your thoughts about the strength and conditioning program at BYU. <laughs> so Wyatt Lowell, uh, he announced on his Instagram today that he, is, he had surgery today on a torn labrum, suffered playing basketball. And uh, it's the same injury that Gavin Baxter had. And in our show agenda, I jokingly put fire everyone in parentheses next to this talking point because if this were a football injury and we were talking about 
you know, another quarterback. I, I even remember talking about it on our, our message board that there was just too many shoulder injuries and everybody was freaking out and knew Tafisi, we got to fire him because look at how awful the strength and conditioning program is. Well, why isn't it the same with basketball, right? This is the second year in a row that an athletic big man has the exact same injury during off season. Now we can either chalk that up to it's basketball. Things happen. It's football. Injuries happen. That's what Wyatt Lowell is talking or chalking it up to. He said in his uh, announcement, this stuff happens. Or if this was football, we would apply this logic that, well, whatever BYU is doing in the offseason obviously leads to shoulder injuries. Why on earth are they doing this? How are they getting away with it? Fire everybody in the strength and conditioning program. I just think it's kind of a stupid argument. Look, like I, I know that there's some disagreement with how new Tafisi's strength and conditioning program works. You know, he's more of a, a traditional Olympic powerlifting type guy where, you know, the Brady Papingas, Jordan Pendletons, they're, they're a very different strategy. And I'm just, you know, an overweight dude. I, I don't work out. I don't care. So I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to say that I know which one or the other is better. But I'd be willing to chalk up that most of the people who have an opinion, maybe outside of Jordan Pendleton, Brady Papinga, and New Tafisi, they also don't know. They just see some injuries and they want to yell and scream because that's what you do. I'm telling you, it just happens. This is sports. It's a high level. This is college athletics. Injuries happen. Sure, some injuries can be avoided, but injuries happen. It sucks that Wyatt Lowell got injured, and it sucks that it was the exact same injury that kept Gavin Baxter out for a good chunk of last year. They're trying to push their bodies to the limit of what it can do, and that's going to cause problems because things will break. You know, if you're, you know, if you're running, this is not, they're not driving a Corolla, right? You know, down the street, commuting to and from work every day. They are pushing, you know, trying to get the Ferrari, tracking it, trying to, you know, turn the corner at 250 miles an hour and blow a tire. That's what the, that's what the equivalent of this is. And so it's, you know, it just, like you said, it does happen. He should be fine. This happened a lot earlier than Gavin did because Gavin, it didn't happen until, I mean, they'd already October. started practicing. It was October. Yeah, it was October that he finally went under the knife. I think the injury came late last week of September-ish and then surgery happened early October. So it's, it's he's ahead. It sucks. He's, so sucks from a basketball standpoint Wyatt Lowell's fun to watch uh he's long I think he's 6'10 but he handles like a two guard uh he's he would have been a lot of fun in this offense that we saw from Mark Pope and what this does is it makes the addition of Caleb Lohner late in the game all that more important because Lohner he's he's a little bit thicker he's not quite as tall as Lowell but he's going to give BYU some of that same ability to stretch a defense out. So huge addition to add Loner late in the process, knowing that now Wyatt Lowell has gone down with an injury and is going to miss, you know, at least some of the season, hopefully not a ton, but at least some of the season. And, you know, hopefully it is just that, and he may not miss any, if they delay the start of the season, that may work to his benefit. If they cut a couple non-conference games, delay the start of the season, and he's you know should be back by the end of November, beginning of December. Um, so moving on to football recruiting, uh, we're going to cut over here and play an interview that Jeff did earlier today uh, with Eli Miguel. So here we're going to go over and cut to that interview, and then we'll come back and share our thoughts about it in his game and his brother's game. Okay, we're now joined uh, by Elia Miguel out of California, big-time recruit. Really happy that you could join with us today, Elia. Appreciate your time. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm hanging in there. We're having a good time. We're talking recruiting. We're talking BYU recruiting. You had some big news this week. You released your top six schools. That's a big deal. I don't think people realize how stressful this recruiting process can be for you guys. How is it going? I mean, is it? I know you guys have a you have a ton of offers. You have a ton of schools who are calling you. Your brother has a ton of offers. Ton of schools that are calling him. How stressful is it in the Miguel house, man? Oh man, it's a little crazy. You know, you get like phone calls. You know, every other every other hour. You know, whenever. But you're always texting coaches. You're always just you know trying to keep updated with everyone in every situation. But you know, 
I think we, we got a good grasp on it, you know, we've got a handle and everything. So it's been good so far. Good. Does it feel good to cut that list down a little bit, start focusing in on some schools instead of just, you know, anybody and everybody all the time? Oh yeah. You know, I think, uh, cutting it down, it actually really helped out, but it was really stressful doing that, you know, kind of letting go of some relationships, but I think it kind of helped with strengthening those six relationships with those coaches. So I think it's going to be good. Uh, awesome. going, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, that's one thing that doesn't get talked about very much is it does feel a little bit right. Like you're letting some of these coaches down when you say, no, you become, you become friends. You have a really good relationship with coaches. How, how does that go? That how's that conversation when you tell a coach who maybe thinks, Hey, you're coming to his school that mm -hmm. actually I'm not coming to your school. How does, how does that go? It, it's, it's kind of, it kind of hurts, you know, cause like, you know, you're talking all the time, you know, you're always, he's telling you all these nice things and you're always telling him these nice things. And uh, he makes it clear that you want him. And then it, you make it clear that you're interested, but then it ends up that it's not enough or that you just want to move on to a different direction. So it kind of sucks. It's like kind of like a breakup in a way. Yeah, that's tough. That's, you know, I can't relate. I'm just a, I'm just a short dude. I, I don't have any athleticism. I can't relate to what it was like to break up with a coach, but I had plenty of girls break up with me in high school. So that I can relate to for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, Hey, I, like I, like I said, we, we were talking before the show here. Uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of our listeners know a little bit about you, the player, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but tell us about you, the man, right? I mean, what are some of your interests, favorite subjects in school, you know, things like that. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, pretty much, uh, I'm pretty young. I'm 16 years old. So didn't go in to college at 17 years old. And, uh, I guess one of my favorite subjects in school is actually other than football. It's a uh, American sign language. You know, I'm pretty interested. Really? In, yeah. I'm pretty interested in that. You know, my teacher, she was deaf and she pretty much got me into it really. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to, to, to learn a different language. And, uh, I think some of my hobbies, uh, going to the beach, obviously from Southern California, I'm that kind of stereotype. You know, always see me in the water, sure. especially with my brother. So, yeah, uh, it's really that, fun to be doing that. That's really cool. American Sign Language, you don't hear that from very many teenagers. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So you had a deaf teacher and it just kind of got you interested? Or how, I mean, how does that come up that you're like, hey, sign language, I want to learn that? Oh, yeah. I mean, at our school, you know, it's kind of obvious that our Spanish teachers aren't really the best. And then <laughs> I was like, I saw American Sign Language. I was like, you know, that might be an easy class. And then... Uh, the teacher, her personality just really, uh, you know, grew onto me, and I really enjoyed being around her and being with her. So it was pretty cool. That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, I didn't realize that you're only 16 years old. You are a a massive 16 year old man, big, strong dude. I I didn't know it was possible to be that strong at 16. What kind of weight are you putting up? Squats, bench, all that good stuff. Oh yeah, it's been a little bit since I squatted, but um, like a max. But I think. I'm in the I've in the 500 pounds right now, 520 hopefully, and because I don't have enough weight to to put up on the bar in the, in the right. weight room. So, That's yeah. crazy, man. That's really crazy. Do you get into competitions with your brother? You mentioned your brother. Are you guys maybe real quick before we we get into the competition? Maybe there are you guys twins? Is he your older brother? You guys? I, I guess yeah. I just know your brothers. Yeah, we're fraternal twins actually. So I'm the oldest one compared to him. That's crazy. So do you guys like compete and stuff? I mean, do you make sure that you let him know that you're the oldest, you're the biggest, the best, you know, whatever? All the, all the time. <laughs> when we're repping, repping weight, I always beat him and I was, you know, always just going on each other's head. So it was pretty fun. That's awesome. And you wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so talking about your brother, he's a big time college recruit as well. Um, what's it like? I mean, you guys have a lot of the same schools who are after both of you. Is that kind of a common pitch for these uh for these coaches that hey you guys can come in and play together is that something that's important to you as you're thinking about your stop at the next level yeah it's really common you know every coach they ask about my brother you know they kind of pitch it saying that they want both of us and it'd be nice to you know have two brothers on the team to you know show to the whole team that you know you could have that and uh yeah we do talk about us going to, to college together because it was like you know a dream of us but he said, you know, if our paths ever split, you know, it happens, but it'd be cool to have each other go to the same school. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And I know that uh, a lot a lot of the schools, I think, in your top six, BYU, San Diego State, Michigan State, I think they've all offered your brother. So I'm assuming that there's there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, so tell me a little bit about your your top six schools. Let's get into to some of the football stuff here. Uh, Arizona, Oregon State, Michigan State, San Diego State, San Jose State, and finally BYU. What kind of stands out about those schools, maybe above some of the others that have offered you earlier in the process? Um, I pretty much broke it down with, you know, the relationship I have with the coach and just um, I really got to pick their brains and see what their intentions were, you know, see – what they plan to do with me and just uh, how we could work our relationship later down the road. So, you know, all those coaches that I put in the top list, I have a really strong relationship so far. So, you know, I'm really cool with all the coaches and just, they made it clear that they want me, you know, I want them as much as they want me pretty much. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And I know that you, you talk a lot with coach Mateos from BYU. Mateos is a funny guy. I mean, he's, I mean, even just, I don't want to make fun of his accent, right. But even just the way he talks, he's a little bit of a funny dude. What's it like talking with coach Mateos? How, I mean, is he pretty easygoing? Is it, do you talk a lot of football or do you just talk a lot of life? I mean, what, what is it like, you know, when coach Mateos gives you a call? Oh man, he's, you know, he cracks me up too. He's pretty funny. Uh, Like, the other, the other week, I told him that I was actually going up to Utah, and he said, maybe I could go scouting for some wives. I was like, you know, <laughs> hold up on that. <laughs> you know, he's always funny. You know, we, we do talk ball, but we do talk about our life, uh, life a lot. So he's really easy going. That's cool. He's a really great guy, really great coach. Um, when you do talk ball, what's it like? I mean, does he, is, he a, is he a technician guy that really wants to get into X's and O's? Does he tell you how he envisions you kind of fitting in at BYU and into his plans at the offensive line? Yeah, he tells me about, you know, how high I'm on his board and just about, you know, his accomplishments, you know, who he's sent, you know, what he's accomplished for his players and just what he plans to, to do with me. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good knowing what, what he wants. Awesome. So what is it? Just a couple more questions here, Elia, and then we'll let you go. Um, what do you think you bring to the table that maybe the, the average high school football player doesn't, doesn't have right now? What is it that has so many schools interested in you other than the fact that you're, you know, you're like a bison on the offensive line. You're just a, a huge, strong dude. But what else is there about your game that really sets you apart from other high school players? Uh, I would say probably my aggression, you know, I could be really aggressive, but then really light on my feet. Um, I think I could really have a good transfer and power and speed. Um, I'm really good with uh, understanding the game, just willing to go to any position if they need, need me there. Has BYU talked to you about anything like that or uh, changing positions? Or is it, you know, you're going to be an offensive line uh, an offensive lineman, maybe an interior guy. Have they talked about potentially defensive line, or is it purely you're going to end up on the offensive line at one of those five positions? Yeah, I think I'm just going to stay at you know one of those five positions, the offensive line. But you know, it'd be cool to play some D line though. <laughs> BYU's always looking for those big D linemen, man. I think you'd you'd fit that Kyrus Tonga mold really well. <laughs> Um, all right, last thing, and then I'll let you go. Uh, timeline on a decision. You've whittled the list down to six. That's awesome. Uh, where do you go from here? How quickly do you want to wrap this up and get that recruiting stress off your chest? Oh, man, you know, I was wishing that, you know, with this whole COVID thing, I'd be committed by now, but, you know, I'm just going to take my time. But I think I'm going to aim for late late fall, early winter, you know, around that area. But, you know, I definitely want to, commit so I could give all my effort and focus to my team uh, during the season. So, you know, it'd be good to be done by then. Awesome. And you mentioned, I, I said that was the last question. This is the real last question that as you as you answer something, it just reminded me uh, high school football in California. It's a little bit up in the air. If it were to get canceled or pushed to spring or anything like that, do you, have you talked about potentially finding a way to play out of state or do you just roll with the punches in California? Uh, you know, we were messing around after a little while saying that we'd actually come up to Utah and play with our cousins. So, yeah, but I think we're going to stick it down here and roll with the punches, you know, wait till, wait till winter and go into spring playing football. I think it gives us more time as a team to, to, you know, recover. We still have some kids that are injured and, you know, we still have some kids that don't really understand the playbook. So I think we're going to take advantage of this. 
Awesome. And it's a little easier to take advantage of it, wait till the winter and, and play football in that Southern California weather than it is up here. That, that, that gets pretty cold in January. Oh, it must be impossible to play there. <laughs> All right, Elia. Hey, man, I appreciate you hopping on with us. Um, I'm excited for you, wherever you end up, whatever one of these six schools or whatever other school comes in and gets involved. Really excited. I think you've got nothing but a bright future ahead of you. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us today. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay, Jeff, that was a great interview. I really liked what you said. And I think the most surprising thing or interesting to me was about the sign language. And I was not, I was not expecting that answer at all of what his favorite school subject was. Right? Oh, man. Elio was fun to talk to. Um, look, interviewing recruits, it's, uh, it's a mixed bag sometimes. Like, they're all athletes. They're all great kids. But some of these, you know, sometimes when you interview these guys, especially, you know, when they're 16 years old, I didn't realize that he was only 16. Uh, sometimes the interviews, they're really, really bland. It's, you know, these kids first interview, it's a little bit difficult. They're nervous, whatever. Elio was fun, man. He was really down to earth, really fun to talk to. The sign language thing I think is super cool. Uh, I love that it just started with, hey, I thought it would be an easy class. And now he's kind of hooked on it. I think it's awesome. I really like his game, man. I, I think he is special. He's, uh, man, learning that he was only, he's only 16 years old and he'll go into college as a 17-year-old. He is 6'3", 320 pounds, and he's already squatting. What did he say? 520 pounds. He's ran out of weight in his garage. And because he's, you know, in Southern California, he can't just go into the gyms like he usually can. Uh, so he doesn't know what his max is, but he can max all of the weight that he has in his house. Uh, on, as a squad. I mean, he's just this big, strong guy, um, really, really athletic for that size. When you hear 16 years old at 320 pounds, you kind of assume it's going to be like a Mango Finau or like a, uh, a Mo Longi type of a player that's just too big to move. But when you watch Elia play, he's fleet, man. He's swift. He's, he's light on his feet um, and he's strong. I, he's, he's got a lot of potential to be really good at the next level. And it's why schools like Michigan State, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, you know, a number of different schools have offered him and made him a priority. I really like where BYU stands. Uh, Coach Mateos, I think I'm ready to, to dub Coach Mateos the best recruiter on the team. Uh, he, he may not get the most stars. I think it, you can make an argument that he does. Um, but I think that consistently the players that he recruits they love him i mean even guys like andrew gentry that didn't didn't end up coming to byu they have nothing but good things to say about coach mateos you'd never hear an offensive lineman say that they are not hearing from coach mateos if if coach mateos wants a recruit that recruit knows it and that recruit has a great relationship. So it's really encouraging to hear Elia talk about his, his really good relationship with Coach Mateos. I think he's the most consistent. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I think he's probably the best, but definitely the most consistent recruiter on BYU staff. And I think him getting guys like an Elia Miguel into the class would be huge. And it's a huge boost for that statement that, that Mateos is the best recruiter on the staff. And I agree with you in his tape and it's, you know, he's playing at a high level in California. He has a big frame. He's, you know, he is more in the mold of, in terms of athleticism, he's more in the mold of a Kairos Tonga than a, you know, Mango Finau or a Molongi type, like you mentioned that he does move well. And that's why, you know, he's got, he may only be a three-star prospect and he may even kind of be towards the lower end of that, but he has multiple P5 offers and there is, you know, he can really, play and he can play well um and he is the kind of guy that if BYU is going to continue to improve he's the kind of guy that they have to get and say okay like you are good you are not considered a five-star because if you know you're not considered a five-star that's going to go to Bama or Clemson but you are very good at what you do and we can take that and we can build on that even more and turn you into an NFL prospect and get those a few of those going through and you know you're going to see especially if we can keep Mateos around for the next few years you're going to see as guys get put into the league and get opportunities that more and more offensive linemen will want to come to Provo and get back to really what that was what made everything click in, you know, in the eighties and the nineties. Okay. We had a quarterback and we had offensive linemen. Like you can't name 
really. Like, can't really name many receivers. Like, hey, there was Kozlowski and, like, Danny Plater. You had a few guys that were like, hey, this is, you know, your 1,000-yard receiver. But if you look at the stat lines, it usually was some running back, two running backs who ran for 450 yards and a couple of receivers that, you know, had a 700-yard guy, a 400-yard guy, but it was really – and then you had, like, 15 guys with 200 yards each, right? Like, it was – they really just spreading the ball around and that's how things ran. And so getting back to solid quarterback play and very, very reliable linemen is what we need from, uh, you know, from the program. And that's what Miguel brings to this. Um, another thing that you brought up in the, another thing that you brought up in the interview is really hard. That I don't think people understand is when you cut down that list of saying no to and having to break up with a school and it's not, I mean, sometimes it's easy, right? Like if your only offers are, and he's in California. So it's like if his only offers are San Jose State and Cal Poly and then USC comes along and offers him, he's obviously going to go to USC. That decision is very easy. But, you know, if you have – imagine you're sitting there and you want to go work for a big company and you have an offer from Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft. You have offers from all five of those. And they've been recruiting you for a while. It's not such a cut-and-dry decision. And anytime you say yes to one of them, you are saying no to four other schools that you've already been talking to, already have a relationship. You understand that there's a lot of value. You know that if you realize that you change your mind down the road, you're going to lose a year of eligibility. Like you have a limited amount of playing time. And if you show up to that campus and that they want to redshirt you your first year, and then you play your freshman year, and then you decide that it's not right for you. Now you're losing and you will only get to play for three years. So they like, there's a lot of, it's very stacked against the athlete in terms of making that decision and for what's best for them. And it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure for a 16 year old kid. It's really tough, right? I, I, it just, I don't think that that gets talked about enough, how stressful the recruiting process is. It's, you know, even when we talk about being recruited in a professional business sense, it's different, right? Like I've been recruited. You, you talk about benefits. You talk about maybe the city that you're living in. You talk about pay, the work environment, but you're not really becoming like really close friends. You're not getting on a super personal level with, uh, you know, with those business owners or whoever it is that's recruiting you. But at the high school football college recruiting level, that is exactly what they're doing. I mean, you heard Elliot talk about it, that, a lot of the time when he and Coach Mateos talk, they don't even talk ball. They just talk. Um, you hear BYU talk about how they're family, family atmosphere. That's what they want to be, how it's more than just football. And that's what, these, that's what all of these coaches are doing. And those are the kinds of relationships that each of these recruits feel. And it is, you know, the bigger it gets, the bigger a recruit gets, certainly there are some that just love the attention. But for the most part, the bigger a recruit gets – the more stressful it is for them to whittle that list down. It gets really, really hard. Um, I'm glad it sounds like Ailey is in a good place. Sounds like he's found some peace with that decision. I think that's great. He has been recruited. I mean, he, I think he got his first scholarship offer when he was a sophomore. So he's had a lot of time to figure this out. So good for him. And I think he's, he's in a good spot. But it really, you know, the more I cover recruiting and the more I get to know these kids, the more my heart goes out to them because this process isn't easy. I think a lot of people have this misconception that it's just being wined and dined and it's super easy. And then at the end of it all, you sign your name, but it's a lot harder than that. There's relationships, friendships, all of that is involved. Now that is part of the process for the coaches. I think it's a lot easier, but for a 16 year old who these maybe are some of the only true like relationships that you've had with people outside of maybe your teachers and your family, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, so interesting process. Really like where BYU sits with uh, Alia McGow and his brother Inoka. I, I think if signing day were today, I'd feel really confident that BYU could actually land both of them. And I think both of them could be very high-level contributors in Provo right away. Um, that's all that we've got on the agenda today, folks. Garrett, this has been a good show. I do have one last thing that I want to talk about. I am going to Glacier National Park next week. I've never been to Glacier National Park. In fact, I decided kind of on a whim that I'm going to go to Glacier when I saw somebody who I follow on Instagram that I went to high school with 
that she posted these pictures of just this beautiful scenery on going to the Sun Road. I didn't even know what that was, so I had to Google it. Lo and behold, it's in Glacier National Park, and it's kind of the, the attraction of Glacier. So I decided, hey, I'm going. So my wife and I are headed up there next week. What should I do? Have you been to Glacier? And for any listeners who have been to Glacier, what should I do when I'm there? I don't know. I've, I have not been to Glacier. That was something that I talked about wanting to do. And, you know, we talked about the, you know, planning a trip up there in the next year, the year after, but it's, uh, yeah, I've never been to Glacier. So I don't, I can't help you much there. Although I do, um, I do love Montana. It's a great state. I wouldn't, I, I, it's I, a very I, pretty state. I, I would, think it's my dream state, frankly. I, I would love to just live up there, have a, not a cabin, but give me a house that's just away from everybody. And I'd love to just, man, Montana. I mean, winters would suck really bad, but now that everybody is working from home, fine. I don't have to go anywhere anyways. Working from home and have grocery delivery. It doesn't matter. Right. The, and you do what all successful LDS people do, and you just buy a summer home in St. George, or winter home, I guess, and you move down to St. George in the winter, and there that you solves go. your problem. There you um, go. You are pre-rich that you could start talking about having yes. two houses. I can't, the, I can barely afford one. The pre-rich mentality. Um, so the, yes, if you have any suggestions for Glacier Park, National Park, send them Jeff's way and, uh, send them my way too. I'll pass them along. Keep, keep a note um, for my own future references, but Jeff, it has been a good episode. Uh, we'll talk to you next week and we've been doing this for almost three months now. This is episode 11. We're coming up on episode 12 and crazy. we haven't, I'm glad we didn't re- end up recording those season previews of the games that, cause they would have all been canceled and we would have wasted all that time. So it's a blessing and a curse, but give them hell this week and we'll be back again next week. Give them hell. <laughs> <laughs>